This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, it's that time once again. Oh, yeah, Decibel Geek Podcast time. You've been waiting all week long. I know there's been a lot of KISS fans just waiting and waiting and waiting all week for this moment. Well, it's finally here. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. The response last week was even more than I expected it. I expected it to be huge. Yeah, and I've never had um, a two-parter that we've done where I've had more people begging me to release the the part two early. Nice. So, uh, yeah, guys, sorry you had to wait a whole week, but that's how we do. We stick to schedule most most of the time, unless we're late. (laughs) Um, But... uh, yeah, Toby Wright was awesome on part one, and uh, you guys uh, had a ton of positive feedback on it. Toby listened himself. He said it kicked ass. Those yeah. were his exact words. Beautiful. So um, looking forward to release this. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a great episode, and uh, I think everyone's that if you dug part one, you'll definitely dig part two. Oh, yeah. More behind-the-scenes stories about what went on in the studio, um, track by track. We're going to take the second half of the album. And as you know, um, by now, you know, the reunion took place during the basically the mix down part of this album. So a detailed discussion of how, how all that went down and what the uh, atmosphere was like at the time. Right. But, um, yeah, it's a it's an overlooked kiss album. And, uh, you know, it's it's dear and dear to our hearts. I had a few people say, oh, I effing hate that album. But I think no a lot of deal. people, even that if you don't really like the album it's or you don't think you like the album. Yeah, there's still enough yeah. here. That's very interesting. Like you say, for the times where yeah. things were changing from, you know, that era of Kiss into the reunion era of Kiss, which was a huge time in rock and roll. So sure. great insight from Toby again. Yeah, and I even had a couple of people say, you know, I didn't give this album enough of a chance at first listening, yeah. and then after listening to hearing all the detail, now I'm, it suddenly takes on a whole different perspective, which right. that's kind of our goal. That's exactly it. We're kind of uh-huh. like, if you're yes. not a fan of this album, we're going to make you a fan of the album. I love it when a plan yeah. comes together. <laughs> that's what yeah somebody said. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, the uh, we got to go do geeks of the week before we get into part two real quick. Uh, these are the people that shared on Facebook and retweeted on Twitter. These are the ones who did the original link. A lot of you just took the link and ran with it, and so I I didn't have a day and a half to find everyone that that, everyone that put this link out there. But Chris Sinzak, Internet Detective. Yeah, if I miss you, um, I appreciate it. So geeks of the week this week are Devin Fox, Rob Harris, David Albazar, Craig Cohen. Warren Money, Mark Alden Taylor, Shane Abair, Mark Lowe, James Brendan Dunn, Robin Bennett. Thank you for the $20 donation, Robin. Nice. Thank you. Alan Tate, Brad Kalmanson, Mike Blunt, Derek Novak, Colin Francis, Justin Hayes, Joe Lascon, Corey Nowlin, PJ Brown, Brent Walter, Ian Wadley of Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, Dan Chaput, Jeff Hoagland, Ryan Sessions, Wally Norton, Eddie Golotka, Brant Cattell, Mike Stewart, Brian Knapp, Raw Magazine, Hot Metal Magazine, Loudmouth Faces Rocks Magazine, Steve Cunningham, Hoops, Jack Broad, Sean Franklin, Steve Atchison, Rocco Rama, Joel Hebensberger, Nick Rose, Music Mags and Wax, Joel Delors, and uh, a guy named Toby Wright shared it, too. Awesome. So. Yeah, that's cool, man. A whole lot this week. Yeah, a lot this week. And uh, thank you all, guys. That's and if you're, some new names in there and some, some, yeah, some very familiar names as well. We love, we love you guys, especially you guys that do it every single Absolutely. week for us, man. It means a lot. Yeah, if you're new to the show, that's, that's really how this show grows and how we get more people to listen. So like if you thought if you're new to the show and you heard last week's episode and you're like, "Wow, this is awesome stuff. I, you know, stuff I didn't know before." You know, share that knowledge with other people. Let other people hear it and yeah, you know, and maybe if you want to you want to be included in Geeks of the Week, go to the Facebook page and mm-hmm. share it from there. You yes. know, share it with somebody you know that loves Kiss, share it with somebody that you know loves rock and roll. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thank you all for doing that and uh so uh no time like the present, right? Yeah, let's get to it. Here we are back with Toby Wright. 
single. Absolutely. And even further than that, you know, I was always really grateful for this album because I was the Kiss fan and, and all my friends like Slayer, Megadeth, mm-hmm. you know, Korn, Pantera, Pantera yeah. Alice in Chains, you know, they like this heavier stuff. And they'd be like, oh, you're a Kiss fan. You're a pussy. <laughs> you like that? Let's put the X and yeah, sex like, stuff. Fuck you, know, yeah. <laughs> you guys. You know, Kiss is cool. They're like they laugh at me and stuff. But when this know. album came out, it was like in your face, fuckers. Yeah. Here's a heavy ass Kiss record. Listen to this. Right, right. And yeah. they couldn't deny it. I turned a lot of you people know, to Kiss like, through this album. Yeah, yeah. because you, like you said, the Pantera fans, the Anthrax fans, the guys that looked at Kiss like. Crazy Nights Kiss, yeah. you know, Hot in the Shake Asylum Kiss with tears, the tears are falling. multicolored, yeah, Tears Are Falling yeah. videos with the pastel colors and oh, they play neon the and oh, yeah, <laughs> you know. And they continue to play the they game. They do, right. Right. But this That's album, man, this was the album that you could take to your, your metalhead friends and be like, listen, listen to this, yeah. you know. This is fucking Kiss right here, believe it or not. And it's kicks ass and they couldn't deny it, you right. know. Thanks, Toby. Yeah, you're welcome, man. No we problem. Need, we needed that back then. It was like Revenge kind of started because there were some songs on Revenge yeah. that were heavy and cool, but That's I always saw Carnival Souls just took it to the next level as did. far as the you know. Let's show everybody that Kiss fans aren't pussies, <laughs> and Kiss you know <laughs> can kick ass when they want to. You know, they yeah. can get just as heavy. And as it would have happened had they not been offered that makeup tour, yeah. right? <laughs> you know? Imagine what the next one would have been oh, like. Exactly. The greatest thrash metal album ever. <laughs> I was already slated to produce the next one. Had yeah. This one, had this one been what? released? Had this one been? Had, yeah, it was in my contract. Actually. Really? Nice. If this one shipped platinum. I was to uh, produce the next Kiss record. Damn you, Ace Frehley and Peter Chris. <laughs> Not their fault. You're saying that? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Not their fault. Did they? Well, right. did they already have an idea? Were they going to keep going in this vein if if it had done that? Oh, I don't. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know if they'd already decided. Yes, and, and who knows what popular the next yeah. couple? Of yeah, years, I mean, you know, if Britney yeah. Spears music was popular that next year. <laughs> don't put that mental <laughs> image in my head. You'd fucking oh, have, man. you know, Paul out there in a skirt. And, oh no! You know, Gene in some fucking uh, Miley Cyrus gear. And... Oh no! No, <laughs> Lady Jean Jean. Make it stop. Yeah, it hurts. Oh yeah, let's These move on to are uh, my brain. <clears throat> track seven is in my head. Yep, written by. Gene Simmons, Scott Van Zandt, and Jamie St. James from Black and Blue. Jamie yeah. St. James. Love Five that years, boy. Man. So, yeah, there's a lot of Black and Blue on this album. Yeah, there is. So, um, the the song was originally titled Nest of Termites. And, oh, right. Uh, yeah, okay. That's one of the lines in the song. Um, Bruce mentions in his piece that the concept art with the head and every the flaming head and everything was hanging up in the studio the whole time that they were doing this album. That's true. I guess sort of to inspire the the mood. I think it was Kurtz. Yeah, it was just there. Um, this song, I honestly, the, I this is one of those songs where I think it could have been great, but it falls short for me as a complete song. I think okay. it, it sounds like a pastiche of ideas to me. This is just the critic in me coming out, but um, it's it might be the most adventurous thing they've ever tried because. This is as close to thrash as I think they ever got because it's yeah, got some yeah. really chugga chugga stuff going yeah, on in yeah, it. It's heavy as hell, and the lyrics are yeah. super dark. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what Gene's singing about, but it's it sounds pretty dark. It's pretty dark. Cardboard boxes filled with hate in my head. In my head, um, it might be the Cheerios commercial that he did. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
Cheerios commercial. He didn't know he had his own fucking front of the face box of Cheerios. Gene? Should you imagine if they did that, Jerry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they would sell that. so many Cheerios. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People would be pouring coffee in their Cheerios. <laughs> They're not done yet. It'll happen, yeah, I'm sure. That's right. Yeah, they haven't. As soon as they hear this, we're like, why didn't I think of why that? Why did I? I'm c- call General Mills right now. <laughs> Make him shut down that podcast. Toby's no, he, nobody's getting a penny. That's right. Make sure Toby doesn't get anything from his idea. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um. But this is this song has some of the left or right panning of the guitar parts. So Oh, well then we'll have to listen, won't we? Uh in my head. Harmony vocals sound like they were very much trying to pull off the Lane Staley, Jerry Cantrell type of vocal thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's me, by the way. When you oh, hear that on figuring that I produced, that's yeah. me. Oh, really? That's going, okay, you sing this, you sing this, you sing this, and you sing that. Right. Uh, yeah, because when I heard it, I was like, they're trying to do that Alice in Chains. Yeah, that's, it's just an effect for that I use a lot is harmony vocals. Um, and I, you know, I hear all the harmonies in my head like Lane did. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's easy for me to to do that I do that on a lot of records I produce mm-hmm. just for you know it's that ear candy thing again yeah, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean I'm not trying to point at any you know yes Lane and Jerry they had something special with it because they, they use pulled notes. it off the best well they right. use notes yeah. that people don't use right typically speaking and when people sing harmonies they sing parallel to you know the lead vocal yeah. Lane never ever did that as long as he lived he never did that yeah. Jerry would sing behind him parallel Right. And that's where you the only parallel harmony you would find in an Alice song. The rest are all, all alternate melodies. Mm-hmm. Where if he's singing like this, then he's also singing like this. Yeah. And they all go together somehow, and that's my job. It was a special thing with those two. Hands. Extremely yeah. special. Yeah. So things like that that you hear, that's a perfect parallel harmony. Yeah, because when you hear Paul and Gita, like it's like I can hear what they're trying to do, but they're not pulling it off like right. Lane and Jerry could. Right. Well, that's yeah. because there's more movement in what Lane and Jerry would have done. Right. Instead of these guys, in my head, in my head, in my head, in my head. Yeah. And there, there's the harmony right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you put that all together, and it's like, whoa, that's fucking eerie sounding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We sat at the piano, and I was like, all right, how about this, this chord? How about this one? Oh, yeah. this one. <laughs> right. You sing this, this, and this. I was like, really? Yeah. Try it. You know, we would sit there for hours and do that, that shit. That must have been cool, you know, because you think about Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell and how perfect they were at doing that. To think 
we should try that with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. You know, and the idea of... Well, it wasn't that way, it. though. No? No, because Lane and Jerry, they just did it. That right. was a part of their art. That's what that does. Just, you know, like Van Gogh picking up a fucking paintbrush. Right. Lane and Jerry just... That's how their... That was, was their sound. It was very right. organic. That was them. Um, with Gene and Paul, that stuff that's songwriter forced. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, we should put a harmony here. Okay, what notes are we going to sing? Okay, <laughs> you sing the A, the G, the C, and the B. Okay, you know what I mean, and you end up with shit like that, and it's yeah. like, and and that's all parallel, you know. Yeah. When Lane and Jerry do it; it's a complete different. It might sound to you kind of the same, yeah. but it's nowhere near. But what I, what that that is, like the idea of trying to get them to do that. Though, yeah, you know? that's me. Yeah, overstepping my bounds. Were they comfortable with trying it? Paul was. Yeah. Gene, not so much. Gene has a limited range. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. Paul's a lot more capable. Paul, than yeah. Yeah. So you know, when when you're producing a record, you have to play to people's strengths. Yeah. And you can't embarrass them with their weaknesses because it doesn't work. Right. You know what I mean? You might for a minute, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna erase it. And then so yeah. that was fun. Now what? You know yeah. what I mean? You didn't get yeah. to keep the the really embarrassing fucking singing part the guy did. <laughs> <laughs> and even at that, you know, you get in that situation and you're embarrassed, you're going to kind of clam up. You know? Of course. And yeah. What good is that? Right, of course. And if you don't think you're good enough, you're going to clam up. But, yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, as is, is, is natural as Jungle sounds for where the band was at that period of time, that song sounds like they're they're out of their comfort zone, like, to me. It, like, took them completely yeah. out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, that needed to be really dark and eerie and sound uncomfortable. And it does. And there's a couple of things going on in that track that are, you know, before you get to the vocals and and what he's saying and all that in the presentation, that there's a reason why it sounds uncomfortable. It's because there's a couple of tuning issues that are built in. Okay. And just a little, like, whoa, what is that weird beating sound back there? Yeah. And it's guitars being out of tune um, on purpose. Wow. Just so there's more tension. Right. And, you know, then the vocals on top of that, and you really can't hear. You're like, eh, But it's got you, kind of a... You can feel it. It's like, ow. But it's got kind of that frenetic type feel, like it's like it could fall apart at any... And that's probably what they wanted, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I was going for, was the... To, uh, uh, right. Holy shit, you know? But you're dealing with a band that their idea of jamming is to play the same riff 40 times in a row till it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, and then to take something and purposely make it imperfect, of course it's going to take them out of the comfort zone. Yeah. It's right. like holding onto a grenade you know was going to explode. You know, that's right. kind of how this song yeah. is. It's like the anticipation oh, of, oh, shit, what are we going to do? It's going to, yeah. any moment, you know? But like I said, it's the, probably the most adventurous song they ever did. It's heavy it, and it's cool, and I, I like so. it. Yeah. I think so. I think it's it's awfully good of you to notice that because. Well, yeah. When I listened to it today, I was like, God, this is so out there, it's, you know, for for what they were used to doing. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, I can tell you were pushing them on that song. Well, I, I pushed them on the whole record. Yeah. You know, I wanted... As Bruce mentioned that that you were not afraid to tell them, oh. to go further than what they were Why? comfortable doing. We had, I mean, we had a discussion early, early on in the pre-pro stages, me and Bruce did, because um, it was mostly Bruce and I, and it was Bruce putting shit together with Kurt, and then I'd come in and help him and do this and do that, and then we'd present shit to Gene and Paul and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> But during those, com- during those initial, when nobody's around conversations, you know, I got 
you know, inspiration from Bruce and instructions from Bruce that are like, you know, you are going to have to push the fuck out of these guys. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Because he saw Ezrin do it on Revenge. Totally saw him do it on Revenge. He pushed him over the edge on Revenge. Especially Paul. I think it was Paul. You know, big fight. Really? Mm -hmm. And then Gene did too with him on Revenge too. Oh, I don't remember, but I wasn't around. Right. I heard Bob's told me some stories about Gene. He's like, watch out. He's like, one fucking smell of weakness, dude, it'll be all over you. Mm-hmm. And I always remembered that comment. I was like, okay. So, never gonna ever fucking show any fear whatsoever that I'm in a room with a fucking one of my legend and heroes. He'll never know that. Right. For you to know. Why? Will, it, will he, like, dominate conversation or... Take advantage. Yeah. Big time. Start pushing it, people around. Smell fear in your eyes, yeah. boy. It's all... It's over for you. Wow. As far as having any kind of control over a situation. Yeah. yeah. Especially in a producer situation in the studio where I'm co-producing with he and Paul. Mm-hmm. And it's the three of us making decisions, quote unquote. Yeah. Who has the last say? Depends on what the issue is. Right. Right. If it's something sonically, it's usually me. Right. If it's something musical, it's usually them. It just depends on how the conversation was going and... You know, who was the bolder lion that day? <laughs> and I had to, you know, really step up. So you had to wear your helmet each day. Oh, absolutely. In yeah. my cleats and, you know, all of my protective gear. Cop. Cop yeah, because, because I, you know, I didn't, I, I you know, I, I had experience dealing with them in the past. Yeah. But what that was with Ron Nevison. Yeah, he and, was handling the brunt of it, I guess. And Nevison will handle you. Yeah. He is a fucking tyrant. But he's amazing. He yeah. got, you know... Well, look at the results he's gotten. Yeah. Look at the results he's gotten. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. From fucking quadrophenia. Yeah. You know, starting... Start with that, you know. Yeah. Well, um, turning people's careers around like he did in the 80s. Completely. Yeah. You know, the fucking John Waite and the babies and... Hearts. Heart. Oh, my God. And, you know, just ton of shit and he's amazing yeah so track 8 it never goes away um track 8 doesn't it never ends it just keeps on playing <laughs> ever, forever <laughs> longest song ever recorded the intro has the, the left to right panning and yes. then it goes into a very sabbathy style riff right yeah it's uh the, like I, and I think I remember reading that when this was in the writing phase, before they had lyrics, they called the song Black Sabbath just to have something to title it. Because uh, it had such a Sabbath, he said.
I can totally hear Ozzy doing that. Oh, totally. Oh, for sure. I think they were going for that vibe on that song. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I figure even back then, you know, with all the, the new stuff, the grunge and all that, Ozzy was still doing pretty good for himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You well, know, and, with that style of music. I think grunge was heavily influenced by Sabbath. Like, let's face it, like Soundgarden. You know, you, yeah. you hear a serious Sabbath influence in that Oh, Sabbath. for sure. Yeah. So maybe they were well, trying except to. For the, except for the lyric and melodies. Yeah, right. but the, the, the guitar, the guitar parts, yeah. very Sabbathy. Yeah, Ken, you know, Kim Thale, as you could tell, went to the Tony Iommi school of guitar playing. For sure. But uh, yeah, that song. I mean, it does go on a long time, and it, it's kind of meanders, but it's but it's a cool song. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, and you could tell Paul was really you were pushing Paul a lot on that one. I was. You know, I yeah. And a lot of those things that you mentioned about time and and you know this song so long and this intro so long and. You know, it's that's part of the of what grunge is all about. Yeah. You know, it's part of the art. Mm-hmm. If I want things to go on sixteen bars, I don't give a fuck about radio. Right. Right. And all all that you're conditioned to think about is radio because of what you just said to me about oh, it's too long. It's too long for what? It's too long for radio. Yeah. You know well, I'm not I mean? saying it's too long. No, it's never too long. From the typical three and a half minute Kiss song. Sure. Because we got to look at like you say, Kiss songs before this. For a good part, especially in the '80s, you know, up to up to like Hot in the Shade, yeah, you know, there was that Kiss song formula. Yes, mm-hmm. intro, you know, yeah. you start intro, the, the verse, verse, chorus, chorus, verse, chorus, chorus, verse, and I love solo, all that stuff you know? too. It's just, and it's great, but it's just that's here. Here's how you do the song, and that's how it is. Right. But this stuff is way different. Mm-hmm. But it's but cool. It, but you it know? needed to be because it's art. Now, yeah. you know, they're trying to they're. You know what you're listening to is them trying to cop Billy Corgan again, right? Fucking follow after that, those footsteps. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's 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 their attempt at being original. But you know what I mean? It's it you know, Bruce got together and wrote songs with people. Yeah. Who was this song written by? This was written by Paul, Bruce, and Kurt. Okay. Which is so a Bruce, common theme. Bruce, yeah, Bruce and Kurt. Yeah. Kurt comes up with a lot of this kind of shit. Yeah. Um, Bruce and Kurt together, you know, and then Paul just probably came in and wrote the melody. Yeah. Or even maybe just wrote a lyric or something. Who knows? Uh, But, you know, Kurt wrote a lot of those melodies as well. Mm -hmm. You know, but he'd work with Paul and, you know, hey, what about this? And we can sing it like this. And, you know, and they went through a lot of that shit, dude. You know, that's why it took so long. Yeah. So long, you know, because they tried everything. And there's more of that harmony style vocal we were talking about on this one too mm-hmm. uh, doomsday deceivers are driving you out of your head mm-hmm. it's like very and Paul Stanley's vocals on this song are pretty they're great awesome, man it's got like it's different right yeah like almost like pain in some of his vocals you know it's like yeah again feeling you know it's not like you know these are crazy you know this yeah. is this is something that it feels like it's burning from deep inside of his soul kind of thing it's coming out of his voice and that's what he's we're, very genuine on this song. Yeah. we're trying to do yeah. that on this whole record yeah you know it was meant to be that you know and when they were going to go out and tour this record there's no makeup no, no. you're going to see four naked guys sitting on stage basically you know well, I don't want to say that's a terrible image <laughs> <laughs> Gene no, and Paul no. naked on stage. Eh, just, I don't think I like this new direction. <laughs> shoulders up, shoulders up. How's that? <laughs> you know, this new direction you're taking us in, Toby. Yeah, I just don't, I'm not feeling it. It's kind of dark and disgusting. Get off the stage. So this is grunge, huh? Take that monkey you're following. It's following you. 
<laughs> oh jeez. Well, no, and then Bruce was busy on this song. He plays bass on this song, and his guitar solo is played on a twelve-string Rickenbacker. That is true. Wow. I never would have guessed that. Yep. And that's what an odd choice to play the solo on. He said it was very difficult to capture that solo on a twelve-string. It took him quite a while to learn it because it's very hard to play a 12 string yes. in, in a like a lead play type lead parts yeah thing the rhythm's pretty easy ish you know but getting those getting that solo down was a, ba- a pain in the ass yeah but it sounded the best it's a well then that's you know, yeah we, that's we tried you know you know Bruce has a collection of guitars and he, had, he brought all of them to the studio <laughs> because I, I'm a big firm believer in you know if if I'm going to record a band I want to I want to record that band sound if you use a broken fucked up instrument mm-hmm. I want to record that because yeah. that's your sound. Right. I don't want you to rent an, a, a, a guitar from SIR or go buy a new one because you're recording. Mm-hmm. That's not your sound. Yeah. Yeah. I want I want the sound that people are going to see. If they see that fucked up sound, I want to put that on a record. That's sure. you. You know why? Why you're you're taking you away from the the you know the formula. Yeah. And, yeah. And you know, bands need all the help they can get in being individual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's only so many notes and there's only so many keys that they play in, and they all play the same instruments. Drums, well, bass, and guitars. Yeah. And they all sound the same. They sound like drums, they sound like bass, and they sound like guitars. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and a, another another important point to make about this album is even though Bruce plays bass parts, only the four members of KISS actually perform on this album. That's absolutely true. Which is rare for a KISS album. Well, no, that's not true. Well, who else plays? Me. Oh, you do oh, on yeah. Jungle. Uh-huh. I played on okay, Jungle. Okay, but only... And what else but you're the play? fifth member. You're the fifth member. Yeah, yeah that's it. I'm, the f- I'm Pete... What's his name? Yeah. <laughs> Pete Mass. Yeah. What's your makeup design? Uh, a cock on my nose. Oh. <laughs> Finally, well, a man like Gene, Ace, yeah, Peter, and Nosy. Or, uh, what's it yeah, the Pinocchio? The demon, the star child, the cat man, and the penis. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Your superpowers, you could please two women at the same time. Uh, that's right. <laughs> one with my tongue and one with my nose. <laughs> Other appendage. <laughs> oh, man. You have a tongue. to be Pinocchio, dude. Do I? It'd be awesome to be Pinocchio. Yeah, no kidding. Be eating a chick out and go... Yeah, I fucked your mom. Wee! <laughs> Honey, tell me more lies. Yeah, yeah this is great. <laughs> your pussy tastes good. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, at least Gene Simmons is going to enjoy this interview. Yeah, I guess he probably will. He'll, yeah, he He'll enjoy the humor. So let's move on to a Gene track. Track nine is Seduction of the Innocent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Written by Gene Scott Van Zandt. And Scott Van Zandt. Did you meet Scott Van Zandt? I certainly did, What's I believe. What's he like? I, I don't remember. Yeah, because I, I just know his name from these song credits. Yeah, I don't I don't really remember. I remember meeting Scott, but I don't, he didn't oh, okay. hang out. Who is he? He wrote a lot of these songs with Gene. A writing partner. Too. Yeah. But um, this song, from what I've read... Um, the the main guitar riff idea, like the melody of it, was a melody that Gene came up with when he was like eight or nine years old, living in Israel or something, and it, he even made it into a song called something like "My Girlfriend Bought Me Ice Cream" or something like that. Hmm. He, he said this in an interview, and ever since he was a little kid, he wanted to use that melody for a song, and that's how that riff came out. And this is it. Wow. That's what also has that Middle Eastern sound to it. Yeah, right. kind of does. And, it um, does, yeah. But uh, this is, and you you add this cool delay effect on Bruce's slide guitar parts on this. Oh yeah, yeah. And 
I uh, I just did a an appearance on another show and we were talking like favorite Bruce Kulick guitar solos. <laughs> the solo on this song fucking rules. Yeah, it uh, does. Huh? It, especially yeah. when it breaks into the. It starts out with the slide part and then when he really right. lets it rip. And then he rips. Oh my god. Play here just for yeah. Play it. song and like i love the chorus chords to it because it's a catchy chorus yeah it's one of the catchiest things on the album because the album's so dark but it's a catchy chorus and then when he breaks into that ripping part of the solo it's just like that's one of the best things he ever did in my opinion i think so too it's, yeah it's really good it took him a while and i picked that solo for and like the guy that was guest mitchell Fawn was on the show with me uh-huh. and I, I said i'll my next pick is Seduction of the Innocent off Carnival Souls, and he starts giving me shit for it because he doesn't like the album. He's like, oh, it's like, that song, come on, man. And I'm like, you actually need to listen to where he really breaks into the song. Because like I know the, the main riff turns a lot of people off because it's kind of a strange, obtuse-type riff. Yeah. But like, you really need to let it get to the song. He's like, well, I never really listened that far into it. I'm like, well, do yourself a favor and listen to the middle of the song. Right. Because <laughs> like, you're missing out on one of Bruce's best solos. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's just... That is that's that song's a highlight on the record for me. As, as odd as it is, you know, it's just a cool song. I agree. And um, and I know I read that Gene wrote the the title "Seduction of the Innocent" comes from something to do with like a comic book commission from the fifties. Like they yeah. they were like uh, trying to ban certain comic books, and it was a book that came out on it called "Seduction of the Innocent." Like Gene always was coming up with song titles off. Book titles, movie titles. Oh, that he's a very, very well-read person. That's yeah, for sure. So yeah. He, yeah, anything literal, he'll get an idea from. Pretty much. So, um, and he was also he just read encyclopedias when he was a kid. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, to learn English and stuff. Yeah. But he, um, and in this song, and then in the next song, which is I Confess, track ten, um, he sings a lot about the hypocrisy of religion during this time. Crazy, right? Yeah. What, I wonder what was going on there, or was he? Was it? Was that also following kind of trends with? your bands that were doing the I same think thing. it was kind of following the trends because um, yeah. they were singing about that kind of shit too um, but I think there's a certain amount of truth to it mm-hmm. you know in his eyes well and I think at the time he was very jaded at the time because I read you know Eric, they lost Eric Carr you know a few years before this I remember and I remember reading an interview probably from around 94 and he was still smarting a lot from it and he uh he was angry at God 
honestly, at the time. He's mm-hmm. like, um, saying something like, I find it hard to worship a God that would take somebody as sweet as Eric Carr from us. And, and so, you know, when I see lyrics like this, I'm like, I'm wondering, you know, and, you know, maybe it was writing trends, but maybe there's a kernel of truth in there. Maybe he was still yeah. spiritually pissed off at the time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, he took probably one of his best friends. Yeah. You know and then on I mean? top of that, coming in the fact that for the last you know, ten years before this. Oh yeah, they've had you know church groups showing calling up at their them concerts satanic and, them, and, yeah, and all you know, that. So shit. That was a huge thing through the eighties. Yeah, going into the nineties a little bit that all that was going on. Yeah, they were still with the that evils that's, of that's, rock and roll. The music. stigma of knights and Satan's service and yeah. all that stuff. It's a good thing that's like that West fucking borough or people around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good thing they weren't around because. There probably would have been riots at Kiss shows if there was. Somebody would have gotten killed. Those guys right. totally hated Kiss. Oh, <laughs> oh, just and everybody else. But that was uh, Dude, those are the ones that they protest soldiers' funerals. Right. Well, he did um. So they shouldn't have a funeral. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, that, I think I don't understand those it. people I don't consider representing even religion. I just think they're out for attention. Exactly. Yeah, that's they, all they like they to get want. the news. Sure. Oh, you say yes. Right. I say no twice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love what the I love, I love what the Food Fighters did. They were playing Kansas City, and um, they showed up. They show up at all the Kansas City shows because they're from Topeka. All right, it's like a two-hour drive for them. And uh, Ooh. the Food Fighters rented out like a flatbed trailer and dressed up like hillbillies and like were in disguise. Took their instruments out and everything, and like went right up in front of them, and like like started singing about how the Food Fighters are the devil's music, and we're gonna take them Foo Fighters down and. and <laughs> <laughs> and it's on video. It's so fucking funny. Oh, <laughs> they pretty much just rubbed it in their face. Uh, <laughs> but made fun of them right to their face. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> even know but, yeah, I confess is uh, track ten, and Gene wrote it with Ken Tamplin, who is, from what I gather, like kind of a songwriter or a singing coach, like okay, well-known singing coach around know. L.A. Um, this is this is one of my favorite songs on the record. Um, it's another heavy one. It is, but it's yeah, and it's I love the like the bowed string section that goes on with the song on this one, mm-hmm. especially towards the end with a da 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 da. Right, almost a cashmere type type vibe. Thank you. So yeah, yeah. has that Zeppelin-y get, get sound. Get a Sabbath on this. Get uh-huh. a Zeppelin. Get yeah. Smash Pumpkins. There's some classic some rock kiss. influence. We're, we're borrowing from the best, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, this is uh, this is a cool. Song. I always wondered though why it wasn't called "You Confess" because they never say "I confess" once in the whole song. Oh yeah, that's weird. I never really thought. Of course, about Nirvana that. wrote songs that were titled that they never had the title in any of the lyrics. So maybe that can was you understand it. anything that he says on this song? Uh, no, Kurt Cobain. No, <laughs> I couldn't even understand his name when he introduced himself. <laughs> Right. Oh, nice <laughs> to meet you. <laughs> but this was a, that was a cool song. I mean, do you have any particular memories of this one? Um, well, let's hear it. That might bring something back. When I look into the mirror, just can't believe what do I see. There's no waking from this nightmare, and you're lost in your reality. So you tell me all your secrets And you tell me that you're innocent There's something in your eyes I can see And my face keeps looking back at me 
So I need to correct something that you said before because okay. those strings were played by string players. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's four cellos and three violins. Oh, okay, as far as other extra performers. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only extras that are on here. Yeah. String they play in a couple songs. Especially at the end of it, but, where they really go to town is. Yeah, I, they, I remember them huge. getting pissed off at me. For this? Yeah, because the tuning was so low. Oh, they didn't like that? No, they couldn't get down to it. They had trouble reaching. And I was like, you know, the violin, had, I made him tune down so he was in viola range. Wow. <laughs> so like, this is not how it's done, sir. Exactly. <laughs> I got a lot of shit for it. But I was like, I don't give a fuck. This is my record and you're hired. We're paying you. Tune that fucking piece of stuff. <laughs> so I told him, I said, tune that piece of firewood down. Let's go. Come on. Oh, but but if I just play it up and it doesn't sound right in that register, not for what I'm you going You knew what for. you wanted. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. wanted something scary like that. It does. Yeah, it is scary. You know? It's eerie. And it's, yeah, exactly. Oh, the end of it sounds like a freaking horror movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it was meant to do. Yeah. I like the way this song, it starts out one way, and it's like, it starts, it's quiet, it's smooth, and all of a sudden it's like, take a left turn and... Oh, in your face, you know, it's like you're, it's like you're pedaling down the street on a bicycle made for two, and then you get hit by a bus. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's kind of it's, it's a bombastic chorus, you know. Yeah, and you know the pre, there isn't really a pre-chorus, so right, it just the build you, into yeah. that chorus is yeah. just a backward effect. Just a slam, yeah, you know, boom, and then you're in. That's a cool song. It really is. Love it. So. um Track 11 is In the Mirror, written by Paul, Bruce, and Kurt. Again, mm-hmm. those three wrote most of this album. The, yeah. Yep, the dynamic three, 3-0. This song sticks out, because um, this, this is the most psychedelic-sounding one on the album to mm-hmm. me. Um, very much reminds me of Crosstown Traffic by Hendrix, hmm. the riff. When I listen to it, I, I, I can hear a little bit of that. And then, of course, it has that drum breakdown in the middle of it. With the yeah, and that's awesome. That's very Mitch Mitch Mitchellish. Mm-hmm. That's hard to say, Mitch Mitchellish. And um, <laughs> also, if you're familiar with the Ace Frehley song "Rip It Out," it also has a drum break that's almost oh, identical yeah. to it. I always wondered if they did that intentionally to fuck with Ace or something, but no, probably not. No, but yeah, actually, one of my friends even did a mashup where he took the drum break from this one out. Yeah. And put the one from Rip It Out in, and it actually fits exactly the same. No way. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta That's fucked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whose record came out first? Oh, well, Aces came out in 78. So. Damn it. <laughs> but how would, how would anybody ever know? I don't know. Besides you. Kiss fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're geeks. Right? But, dig in. But this is a this is more of like more of an up up tempo rocker, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not not a, quite as dark as the rest of the yeah. Although the the lyrical subject matter is lyrical content is yeah. It's kind of, it's a big fuck you to a woman song, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
I like the song a lot. Um, it definitely had its moments in the studio. It was kind of tough sometimes, mm -hmm. um, arrangement-wise. And because there were some parts about it that I didn't like to begin with. Really? Um, and that I wanted to change. So, you know, most of my, where I find fault with a lot of musicians and their songwriting mm -hmm. is the transitions. Going from verse to chorus, or verse to pre-chorus, or pre-chorus to ver, pre-chorus to chorus, or whatever your transition is, mm -hmm. is where most musicians fall down. Yeah, you know, right. they go, oh, I'm gonna end here, and where am I gonna start in the next one? Oh, right here, right where I was. Oh, why? Come on, we gotta do something. Yeah. So you know, you have to build in, and sometimes, excuse me, that takes changing, you know, changing the riff yeah. or changing the whole part of of the song or whatever. You know what I mean? Just to get the feeling that you need. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, with, with music theory, it's it's easy. You know, if you want this kind of a sound, you need to go for this jump. If you want a regal sound, you need to go for this kind of a jump. If you want this kind of a sound, you know, yeah. you need to go for a, a minor third, you know. And, and so you can kind of build off of what it was. But I remember sitting in Kurt's studio with um, Bruce and Kurt. Mm -hmm. I don't think Paul was there around that day, but we were talking about it, and I made them replay it like four times mm -hmm. and they were angry at me because <laughs> they just wanted to get done yeah um and I, I i i kept digging and i thought there was something more yeah you know but it would it never showed up so <laughs> i was the asshole that day <laughs> yeah but you have to you have to try but yeah that's, know, that's right? what we all said you know we went round and round that day but you know what we tried a lot of shit and we eliminated things mm -hmm. that we we're not going to use right yeah. so you know whenever the question comes up again we know what doesn't work yeah we're still going to work on tomorrow we're still going to work on you know finding what does work yeah and because they were in agreement you know everybody <laughs> in the room was in agreement so yeah the transitions were a little wacky mm -hmm. you know so let's make them better and so Bruce well, Bruce finally found the key to it all. Yeah, well, the final yeah. version flows really well. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it, and it's, a, it's a kind of a quick, snappy little song on an album filled with a lot of longer songs. True. So, yeah. so maybe And maybe that was needed, you know, yeah. in the overall scheme of things. Sure. So, you know, and that kind of makes me think, too, like, this is the first real song that's even close to, like, a, a love song or a... A song about a chick, you know, kind of a it's thing. It's about a chick, that, but not in a positive that, way. Not well, in a positive but, way. <laughs> but, like, Kiss is known yeah. for songs like yeah. that. I mean, Strutter was coming in, that way. Right, you know, it's, so many. I mean, there's so many songs. I mean, when it came down to, like, eliminating songs and picking songs, did mm -hmm. you have to go, Gene, no Poontang songs on this one? Because, <laughs> you know, i got to imagine that Gene Simmons is bringing you Poontang songs. Yeah, Logs you know? in the fireplace. Yeah, know. Log in the fireplace, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, it's... Yeah, well, no, he brought me Childhood's End. Yeah. Yeah, You know, that's... and he brought me... I, is it I Confess? Did he write that one? Yeah, uh, I, yeah he wrote that one. Yeah. Him and Ken Tamplin wrote that one. Yeah, and then there's another one he wrote on he here. He wrote Seduction of the Innocent. That one, too. Yeah. yeah, and In My Head. None of those are about chicks. No, yeah. I mean, there's no... So he's no... not bringing me pussy songs. Right, well, actually, yeah, what about Paul, them. though? Paul, on Revenge, Ezra had to reject a lot of Paul's ideas because they were too 80 Paul, sound. Paul wrote three quarters of this record. So, so they were yeah. both in the right headspace to do this type of album. Then. They were doing it, yeah. Yeah. Because you know, they, they had to know that at that point, okay, if we're trying to become this dark, leather, heavy, you know, grungy type right. thing, we can't sex have songs. songs have to go. Yeah, the sex songs have to go. They, yeah, unless they're derogatory and right. fucked right. up and disgusting sounding. Yeah. yeah. Or you, 
your Pearl Jam and you put it into a metaphor. That's the only way to make that. That's the only way that it work. You can't be direct. No, you can't no, say. You can't say I'm gonna bang bang you on this album. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, you could, but you could, but no one's gonna take you seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have fit very well. No love going. Um, no. So we end the album with track twelve, which is I Walk Alone. Bruce. Yeah. Written by Bruce with Gene, apparently. Really? It's what the. That's fucking bastard ass have his fingers and everything, doesn't he? Is that the same thing as pushing it out going out with producer? I think so. <laughs> Maybe. I, I wrote so. this song too. There's interesting stuff because Bruce obviously had a lot to say about this song. The demo was initially titled Waterfall before lyrics were written for it. Right. And which, you know, if you listen to the intro and the outro chords, you can see where he got the sure. idea. That sounds like a waterfall. And then he he says he didn't intend on being the singer for this song. It just it went back and forth a lot between him and Gene as far as ideas yes. for how it'd be arranged, and he would just do the guide vocal, and that you were like, "You're going to sing this." Yeah, that was that's very true. Yeah, um, and one of the reasons that I told him that was because he sounded way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Gene wasn't putting anything behind it. Now here's a perfect case of a guy writing a song, capturing it on on paper with his heart yeah. and a pen. And then, okay, now, how do I get that out? How do I make this feeling that comes out in these words translate onto, uh, onto a record? Mm-hmm. That's the hardest thing in the world for a lot yeah. of people. Okay, Bruce just sang his ass off. He went in and he fucking, that was what you hear on here mm-hmm. is a demo. So it's I mean, one thing. That's uh, ish. Yeah, I mean, we, we patched up some shit after it was, you know, it was told, okay, that's the vocal. Yeah. I can't beat it. <coughs> I had Gene try it, and we all agreed that. I was going to ask if Gene asked to take a shot at it. If, yeah, and I had him take a shot at it too. I mean, even if he didn't want to, I was going to have him do it because he's a singer in the band, right, and it's yeah. you know it's way too low for Paul. Yeah, definitely. Didn't have the right attitude for Paul mm-hmm. um, to be the lead on it, and you know, so when it came time for Gene to sing, you know, he he gave it his all, but it just wasn't didn't connect. He he wasn't connecting from the heart, yeah. right? And you could hear that in his voice. You know, as I'm reading, Mary had a little lamb um, whose fleece was at 7-Eleven. Right. 7-Eleven? Yeah. Oh, wait. Because uh, you, know you I mean? think about that, like, if somebody else writes a song and then, you know, they pour their heart and soul into it and then hand it off to somebody else, well, that somebody else doesn't have the same connection to the words and the melodies. And the experience. And the experience, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you'll never, I don't think, be able, you might be able to technically sing it better, Right, but you're never gonna have that same feeling, that emotion. Right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, that, that's why I don't like songwriters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Period. You know, if you're gonna be a musician, write your own damn songs. Right. Because they should come from your heart, mm-hmm. and then you get out there and you play and sing. Mm-hmm. If you need help, I can understand. You know, a little lyrical help from yeah. a, a seasoned vet professional. But to have you know some of these guys who just bring in you know, I don't want a Diane Warren song. Yeah. It's like. Uh, boring. Yeah. And it's see-through. It's very see-through. You know, you, Kiss did a couple of those. Kiss did a couple right. of those. That's Some why of I said that name. Songs. Turn yeah. on the Night was a Diamond yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know, there were, what, two, three on Crazy Nights? Three or two? I, don't know. I know she helped Diamond out with them. She, had, she may have helped with Reason to Live, too, I think. So I she, there again. You know. Yeah. But, you know, she was... In the 80s, when that was going on, you know, we were making Crazy Nights and all that kind of stuff was going on. Now, here's Jeannie, and I'm sure he told Ron, I want to be that, whoever the fuck that was. Yeah. 
whether it was Coverdale, yeah, whether it was you know Poison, whether it was fucking Motley, uh, sure. who knows who bon he told Ron who he wanted to be that day. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but I walk alone. Um, interesting thing on that is the the backward guitar solo. Yay! Yeah, it sounds cool as hell too. Is that you? That's awesome. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Um, I love fucking around. You know, it's <laughs> it's just fun. And you know, I just I was listening to him play, and you know, this is probably one of the last solos we did. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, I was like, hey, dude, what does it sound like if we do this? And you know, I went over and flipped over the tape and flew it onto something else and got it back in there and. Yeah, he's got a long explanation of how it went back and forth. Yeah. yeah. And at one point it was half in one and half of the other. Yeah. It went forward, backward, backward, forward, forward, backward. <laughs> and it got really confusing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm sure his explanation is absolutely positively correct because, like I said, he kept diaries of yeah. all that shit. And I'm, I'm just, you know, a THC-ridden brain, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the song winds up being autobiographical, you know, considering what took place. True. So, and another thing I found interesting was if this was recorded late 95, early 96, so you started tracking this thing, and then they, they, well, they taped MTV Unplugged in, Unplugged in August of 95, when Ace and Peter come out, and then it came out on TV that Halloween. So, so you guys must have been in the tracking stages around the time Unplugged happened. Fuck no, you're way done before that. Were you? Had to have been. Because I was going to ask you about the you timeline. You have to figure. Then. Yeah, you have to figure. We got the call sometime during the three-quarter to the end of the record mark. Mm -hmm. Gene got the call. Right? hundred million to put on the fucking makeup yeah, and go back out. Yeah, happened yet, though. This is when it happened. But, I mean, Unplugged, when they were doing Unplugged, it hadn't. they hadn't negotiated that yet. When did they do Unplugged then? They did Unplugged in August. Before this record? With? That's impossible. Well, they, they, they had Ace and Peter joined them for a few songs, but it wasn't a reunion. It was just a one-time thing for MTV, at least at the time. Eric, Eric and Bruce, Bruce thought that was it. And they were on stage. Yeah, Eric, yeah. And Bruce yeah okay. Eric and Bruce played through the whole show. Okay. But Ace and Peter come out for a few songs. Fine. Whatever. But it's just interesting with the timeline of events, because that's when it went down. It was August. Okay. And then you guys start recording the album, and then somewhere during that period of time is when the negotiations took place. Cause you, yeah, the phone cause, call happened. So where were you guys? In the, you guys were done with all the tracking when the phone Oh, we were about done with the record. And, and some, who was it that called Gene? I don't know. Whoever was putting on the tour? Somebody called him and offered $100 million to put back on the makeup yeah. with all original members, and he did it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and... That announcement in that room? Mm -hmm. Holy shit. All four of them were in the room? Yeah. Yeah, Gene called me. And you were in there? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. and I'm sure my face went from two. Right. Are you fucking kidding me? So you, no one anticipated this. Oh no. No. That was a fucking left turn, Clyde. Boom. Right. You know, one of those. <laughs> and <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Gene and Paul's demeanor during this meeting. I think mm, Paul didn't really look around much. Because I remember trying to look at him and, like, trying to gauge where this was coming from. Yeah. And he was doing one of those the whole time. Right. Gene took the whole... He was... He was, you know... He was Paul Revere. He was the messenger that should have gotten shot. Oh. <laughs> so, and, and Eric and Bruce, as you told us before, were, were pretty crushed by this. Yeah. Bruce was totally crushed, as you can imagine, because, you know, here he is pouring his life's heart, yeah, blood, and soul into this fucking record that he wants to be huge, off. and it's poised to be huge. It's poised to ship platinum. That means you ship one million records. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. come out and you're you are at number one. Kiss would have had a number one record. Wow. This record would have debuted at number one. Wow. And then out of nowhere, the rugs pulled out. So, what was Gene just like? We're doing this tour, and then we'll get back to this, or was, or what? Uh, he said that they, he was just offered a hundred million. Well, the only reason I know it's a hundred million is because that's what he, he said. He said it. Yeah. He said we were just offered a hundred million dollars to put back on the makeup. I'm thinking about it, but it's really alluring. Well, and, and you're not a mouse fart for six blocks. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure the translated in your head is you're going to take this deal. You're not going to turn that down. I mean, oh yeah, we all knew right as it came out of his mouth that we were done. And so the next, you know, what followed was a series of questions of, what do you want to do with this record? Do we finish it? You holding it? You want to scrap it? Yeah. You know, what has to happen from here? So did it become like a series of phone calls back and forth? Oh, yeah, managers and all kinds of people got involved, and all of a sudden my phone was ringing off the hook like fucking crazy. Like, what the fuck did you do? I didn't do anything. Shut up. <laughs> so was the record company wanting it to come out, or they wanted to shelve it? They, they, I don't know whose decision to shelve it it was, right? Um, but I imagine it was theirs mm-hmm. because if they're going to go do a remake up tour, then why do you need an original band or a non original band with no makeup make playing this other stuff that nobody has ever heard this band play before? Well, I'm assuming, well, even at that, if it was set to debut at number one. So I'm guessing, thought, yeah. Well, in, that's a guess. I yeah, mean, it, I mean, it would have been it's big. an educated guess. Yeah, but it would have shipped a million units. But so, but during the tracking and recording of all this, before this reunion stuff happened, I'm assuming record company people would come down and listen. And no, never saw. One so they didn't know what how this was shaping up to sound or anything. Nope. But no, they were Kiss didn't have an A and R person that I knew of. But they were going to be willing to ship it platinum. Oh fuck yeah. It's a big risk to it's take. Their, it's their biggest band. They're on Mercury. Yeah. Who else is on Mercury? I think Bon Jovi still is, but I don't know. Maybe. Well, Bon Jovi would ship platinum well, too. Bon Jovi right. would ship easily five times platinum. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. You know, they put out three or four million out there yeah. in the world. Yeah. I just way. didn't know if any of the record company people were coming down to listen to to what. Uh, the, not, what the I don't remember was. anybody coming down to listen. Um, Kiss didn't even have a manager during this time, did they? They were in between Mazer and Doc McGee at the time, I think. Yeah, true that. So they were doing it on the. They own. were managing. Yeah, that's why it's produced by the three of us, is because right. Gene and Paul were doing the management as well. Yeah. 
and they had to liaise with my management company because when I wasn't happy, I'd go whine to my manager and he'd go whine to them. Yeah. <laughs> well, Just the way you do it. Yeah. yeah. I'd whine directly to him, but yeah. I don't like to do it that way. Okay, fucking fine then. Yeah. I'll hire somebody I can whine to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. Bruce's article kind of states that the recording was done and mixing was in progress, but it was kind of at a point to where Paul and Gene were, they were on the reunion bandwagon by that point, and it was kind of left to you and Bruce to finish things up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought we found out while we were doing the last of the overdubs. Okay. Um, That's possible. Because I don't remember even where, where did I mix this record? Did it say on here? It doesn't, say, it doesn't say anything on there. It doesn't say shit, Gene, you fucker. where you get your new Kiss action figures. Yeah. Mastered by, packaged by, engineered by some fucking idiot. Uh, co-produced by that guy, that guy, and that other guy. Bruce Kulik action figure not available. And it says recorded and mixed at the music grinder. Okay, so I must have mixed it directly right in that same room I recorded in, which is very unusual for me. Mm -hmm. um, it might have been one of the first times in history that I've ever done that. So um, the, was it the mixing process? Well, I mean, obviously a big bummer had just taken place. Was the enthusiasm kind of drained out at that point? And that is actually the inside of the studio. Oh, it yeah. is? Yeah. That's just cool. in the playing room. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if it was, if we were mixing, then yeah, I could see the sales being deflated pretty damn quickly. Yeah. Um, but it, it, anyway, when the news reached us, it was... Defeating, right? Well, it doesn't. I don't care if we were just still writing songs; it would have been defeating. You right. know what I mean? But they wanted to continue and they wanted to finish the record. Mm -hmm. um, so you come that far. Yeah, and we and if we were in mixed stage, then that only makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe if we weren't in mixed, then they would have pulled the mix and just said, "Okay, you know what? We're done recording. We're going to stop for a while." Right. And then we'll pick it up and we'll mix when we get back from this reunion tour. Yeah. Um, that might have happened, but. I, so I, I might have been in mix when we heard that. Yeah. Um, we obviously did finish mixing, and, you know, I turned in all the stuff. Were Gene and Paul just gone from during the mixing process? At this no. They, they were still involved? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, heavily. You okay, know, if you want the bass fucking 100 million times too loud. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. So, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff that happened during the mix. You know, most of it was really amicable. Yeah. You know, the whole thing, the whole process was great. Yeah. Um, you know, there were little incidents of, you know, pockets of stupid here and there and everywhere. Yeah. You know, or you just run into, you know, whatever. You know, like me having that big argument with Gene about, you know, him wanting to be Billy Corrigan and mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. Come to find out, I just want to fucking sell records. Yeah. That's all he had to say to me. He didn't have to be an asshole and get in my face and call me names and yeah. do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> totally counterproductive. Right. right. I want to sell records. That would have worked just fine. Yeah, get where you're coming from. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm on the right bandwagon then. Yeah. As long as we're all on the same page. Yeah. Exactly. The same direction. So it's just, you know, creatively, there's there's a lot there to be proud of. It's just yeah. the end result is so bittersweet, I'm sure, for you. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, you know, just... Yeah, completely bittersweet. You know, you pour your your heart, soul, and energy into it, and you know, you hope that somebody gets to hear it. And you would think that a band like that, they would 
A bunch of people get to hear it. A couple million, maybe. Yeah. Nope. But yes, actually, it has been heard by that many people. Yes. Yeah. But unofficially. Right. Yeah. It gonna... was the biggest bootlegged record on yeah. the internet for a long time. So how did you're you... not going to stop Kiss fans. You know, they're going to find a oh, way yeah. to get the music. You're not going to stop the internet either. Period. Yeah. So you know. How'd you find find out it had been leaked? Don't remember. Yeah. But I do. I do remember getting questioned. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. By the record company. Yep. And their lawyers. Yeah. And you know, who knows who did it? So I have, I have knows, great huh? ideas as to who did it. There's rumors that one of the band members did it. I've heard that rumor. Because, which rightfully so, they were you bust your ass creating something, you want the world to hear it. Yeah. Right, right. And you just. But I don't think it was that member. <laughs> I didn't say which one I'm talking about. Yeah. You didn't. You're right. You did. You're right. You're right. Mark, Mark St. Showing... John released the album. <laughs> I thought it was Vinny, dude. Yeah, no. He'd keep it for <laughs> himself. Snored off of it. Yeah. If it was a band member, mm -hmm. I would just say it was for his personal gain. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he made a lot of fucking money. Yeah. By maybe pressuring the record company into releasing it? Well, yeah, because, you know, if it's already been out there, then why shouldn't our fans have an official release? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They actually put... I forget what our budget was for that record, but they, you know, they gave us a nice budget, um, and you know, we still haven't recouped. Mm, yeah. I don't know how that's possible, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it came out. Creative accounting. I don't know. Uh, I don't Creative know. <laughs> it came out October of '97, and uh, what do you remember about when it officially came out? Where you could just kind of like, well, whatever at this point, or are you. Oh, I was excited. Okay. I was really excited. I was like, fuck yeah, fine, it's kind of, woohoo, all right. And it came out at like no number 209,006 yeah. or something. Yeah. It no, came out, poof. No promotional push at all. Zero. Yeah. It was like, it came out. And then, yeah. But the look at these fantasy. guys over here with their makeup and explosions and all that. Right, yeah. yeah. Because you can't top the original Kiss. I know Paul and As James. far as the spectacle and the excitement no. of it, especially no. the reunion after all them years. Think about that. All the years through the 80s was the number one question. When are you going to put the makeup back on? You know, that's what everybody wanted for so long, and it was kept away. But the Kiss fans, even music fans, even guys like Chris that got into Kiss in the non-makeup era. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Crazy we're still there time. and still wanting it. And it's such a fucking great album. Yeah. And it, you know, it breaks, as a KISS fan, as a fan of heavy, hard rock music, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that this didn't get the fanfare and the oomph that it truly deserved. And if it does that to me, I can imagine how it must have made you feel. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, just bust my ass and wanting, thinking I'm, you know, working on another multi-platinum record. Yeah. You know, as it should have been. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they shelf it. And then, you know, we were told things like, oh, yeah, it'll only, you know, it's going to be six months on this tour. Yeah, you know, right. Fucking two years later. We're extending it, yeah. Yeah, and then here they are, and now they're releasing, and they don't put any marketing push behind it, and they, it's like, why, why did you bother? Yeah. yeah, I think Paul and Gene did, like, a handful of radio interviews, and that was it. And even in those, all they did was answer questions about the reunion. Like, right, right. Because that's what people want. Yeah, well, I remember being on the internet, being a fan, I was excited, obviously, for it was coming out, and I'm like... Oh, they're going to be on this radio station at this time talking about, and you know, they're going to talk about Carnival. 
and then maybe one question. Right. Because the DJs kept steering it towards the makeup and right. Gene's Polaroid collection and all that. Of and course. The shit you always hear about. Right. It's a cow's tongue, right? Yeah, all, all that shit. Right. You know. Well, I suppose at that time, you know, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley don't want to talk about what a great album they just did with Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer because they want you to know that they're back together with Ace Frehley and yeah. Peter Chris. Right. You know, so this really, as great as this is, this isn't where the money's at now. This is, well, you know, the big thing. Yeah, and Bruce says that in his article. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. it's understandable they wouldn't want to push it themselves because they're with two other guys. Right, right. exactly. You know. They kind of de- to take Carnival of Souls and talk about how it's the greatest thing they've ever done really take it diminishes the reunion, yeah. which you you just can't. You know, you can't. Well, it's like you know, that. telling your new girlfriend how pretty your old girlfriend is. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah, that ain't yeah. gonna work. Does, does it usually doesn't smart. fly unless um, she's a lesbian. <clears throat> yeah. And if she's a lesbian, she ain't dating you. Right. <laughs> a threesome if you're lucky. Yeah. Man, it's <laughs> a parting gift. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's you know, I'm we like to do these albums unleashed things because it's good to get into these things, and we like to pick albums that we don't, you know, we did Slave to the Grind with Michael last time, but um, and that was a huge album, but yeah. you know, we like to pick some that are hit, you know, kind of hidden gems, you know, things that are that are big to us personally, mm-hmm. and you know, I, you know, I, I know I speak for everyone. I say we appreciate what the work you put on, put in on this because. It's one of the most unique albums in the entire Kiss catalog. Thank you. And as far I like, as, you I like know, that moniker. Oh, it is, yeah. and it, and it's cool, and you know, and I think, you know, even further than that is you look at it as times in our lives. It is. This album meant a lot to me. Me too. Mm-hmm. When it finally came out, you know, and even hunting down the the, the bootleg, you right. know, meant right. a lot to me in that time of my life because I was a Kiss fan but like I said I was a Kiss fan that was looking for something a little bit heavier something a little more substance to it at that time something I could hold up to my you know Pantera fan friends and say hey Kiss does have balls you know and so for that you know I really appreciate the direction that you were able to take this band yeah they had a, a preconceived notion of the grunge thing they wanted to do with it but to me this has always been like a Kiss a metal Kiss album because it's so much heavier and the guitars are so much stronger and crunchier than anything they had done in such a long time mm-hmm. that to me being a, a metalhead and a Kiss fan this was truly an album that I could be proud of and could flaunt to my friends oh, that's you know? cool. yeah that stayed meant a lot to me I'm glad I gave you balls yeah man. <laughs> I, I had them I just needed to be able to show them this okay now you can show them with that hair on <laughs> yeah there you go so Red Bull gives you wings Carnival of Souls gives you balls exactly <laughs> with hair <laughs> well thanks for taking this trip down memory lane with us man. my pleasure thanks very much for rattling my brain Man, you know, is I I know why people want been chomping at the bit wanting to get this episode out because you know this really completes where we started yeah. last week and you know again thanks to Toby Wright for taking the time to invite us over and sit down and really go in depth on this album and like you said I I hope the Kiss fans have a new appreciation for it I hope all the fans of rock and roll will go out and give this album a chance because it really mm-hmm. deserves it it's one of my favorite yeah it's it's an overlooked album for sure and you know as you guys know we. 
We'll take well-known albums. We'll also take kind of off oddball albums for these albums unleashed episodes. I kind of like doing the oddball. I do ones. too, because it's well, it's kind of like uncovering stuff people didn't right. know. Yeah. Um, we definitely want to have Toby back on to do another one of these in the future. Another ten, actually. Yeah. Um, and he was nice enough to let us come over, but yeah, we'll hopefully do it again. But uh, if you want to hear more about Toby Wright and what he's up to these days, and he's up to a lot, he let us hear some of the music he's working on now, yeah. and it's really good. Um, go to tobywrightmusic.com, and uh, he's also on Facebook. Just look up Toby Wright on Facebook, and he will respond. He's a really, really cool guy. And if you're a rock band out there and you want a kick-ass sound, he's your guy. Yeah, look absolutely. Him up. Well, Aaron, I guess we're done for this week. Man, that, that was awesome. You know, it seems like a lot of work, but really it was just an enjoyable experience. Absolutely. Here's another experience everyone can enjoy, and that's www.decibelgeek.com. Have we unveiled yet at this point no not yet oh man new unveiling coming in april oh man i can't wait till april i got a sneak peek <laughs> at it you guys are gonna love the new and improved website in the meantime the regular old website's still there it still suffices in the meantime yeah. you don't know what you got coming because you haven't seen it yet so enjoy what we got now that's where you can get your decibel geek t-shirts hey we just sold one about five minutes ago yeah we did. awesome you know, and so all that stuff's available at the website. The writers are there. They're cranking out articles from all over the world, places where we can't beat. But our favorite bands are all going there. So you want to catch up with your favorite bands and get personal interviews and reviews of shows and, and new album reviews. You want to keep up on the latest? DecibelGeek.com is the place to do it. You want to kick us a little donation? Hey, we had a donation this week, 20 bucks. How cool is that? Awesome. We appreciate it so much. That's the place to do it. You know, support Decibel Geek because we're out here supporting rock and roll, Kiss, and everybody else. Totally. And uh, if you're going to buy anything on Amazon, just click on our Amazon link. Go in there. Just click on that link and go do your shopping as you normally would. We'll get a kickback, whatever you buy. It's that's, just another way of supporting the show. That's the easiest way to support the show because what you can do is you can go through the link and then bookmark it. Yeah. That way, every time anybody goes to Amazon, it's automatically through us. Yeah. You don't pay a penny extra for anything, but you're helping out the show. You want to really do us a solid? Leave us an iTunes review. Please. Yeah. All right. So now that we had your attention for a little bit, yeah. since Toby Wright was here and it was right. so cool, we just wanted to, you know, while we got you here, let you know what's up. Absolutely. So, Aaron, uh, have a good week, man. Yeah, you too. And we'll see you guys. Well, we got something cool coming up. We're not slacking yet. We, nope. We're still banging them all. We got some really cool stuff coming up. So we'll see you next week. See you.